This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, after the Democrat speech that Biden gave, where he was telling us he was going to spend trillions of dollars, six trillion dollars, I think we all know that they are more or less embracing modern monetary theory. They think that they can spend whatever they want to spend. And it's a way of bolstering their political prospects. They're redistributing wealth. They're adhering to Marxist principles and all of this. Maybe we should be concerned about where this is going for the economy, folks. I I feel like that's the only way that the American people will enough Americans will wake up to what's really going on here is when we see the real effect of some of these policies. And that's going to be hitting a lot of folks in their bank accounts. But did you know that real gold and silver can be delivered to your door? This is a means of preparing for inflation and rough economic times. You can diversify your portfolio. You can actually have a real store of wealth or value with real gold and silver. And it can be placed right into your IRA or 401k, tax-free and penalty-free. That's right, real gold and silver in your hands or your retirement accounts. Why should you own real gold and silver? Because they both hold value, especially when markets decline or fail. You want a little bit of uh, insurance, a little bit of uh, safety, a little margin of error for the economy with this Biden administration? You need real gold and silver in your hands or in your IRA or both. The Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833 600 gold and request your free precious metals investment guide 833 600 gold speak with the oxford gold group today they'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide the oxford gold group 833 600 gold it was difficult to stay awake last night during the joe biden speech it was boring there were just some moments where you were jolted out of uh, that extreme weariness by something particularly left-wing or disingenuous or dishonest. Nothing about the speech that Biden gave the address to a joint session of Congress, not a State of the Union, but basically a State of the Union. Uh, Nothing inspiring, nothing even all that memorable. But the journos, like the trained seals they are, clapping, they want you to believe that everybody thought the speech was amazing Here's CBS telling you their polls say 85% of viewers love Biden's speech. Play three. What we did was we talked to we talked to a, a sample, a representative sample of the audience nationwide who watched the speech, and they liked what they heard. We got 85% approving of the speech. Now, I, I've got to add right off the bat here that as is typical with presidential speeches, a lot of his own partisans made up the bulk of the audience. So this audience mm. was majority Democrats watching it. And, and, you know, for context, back when President Trump was giving speeches, a lot of Republicans watched those. So that's you've got to know that behind these numbers. But that said, the audience said that they liked what they heard. And then how did they describe it? Well, this is a word we found in other polling. And again, in this one, people using to, de- to describe 
describe Joe Biden, presidential, uh, caring in this case. They thought the speech, many thought the speech was inspiring. And then this one, folks have been talking about were his plans, you know, big, uh, were the things that people wanted. And this word bold was used by 80 percent of the audience, too. So to that extent, he kind of hit his mark. If he wanted to convey bold, it seems like he did, Elaine. Uh, so a bunch of Democrats like the Biden speech is really <laughs> that's the takeaway. The headline they give you is 85 percent of viewers approve of Biden's speech. All right. What percentage of those viewers are actually Democrats who voted for Biden? Right. We're at we're at 50, 50, 50 in terms of the last election. And, and you don't get that sense from Joe Biden right now. He seems to believe he has a mandate Despite having a very narrow election win, he seems to believe that he has a mandate in all of this, which I think is just delusional. But it's also the way the Democrats approach everything. They are not scared of using power. They will use power in whatever way they can, as long as it goes toward their ultimate goals. And they'll steamroll the other side. And it doesn't matter that when they're out of power, they talk about bipartisanship and bringing both sides together and common sense reforms and all this stuff. The moment that they're in charge, it's their way or the highway. And you got a lot of that last night. Now, there's another a trick Biden borrowed from Obamaism, if you will, which is to say that everything was terrible, the worst ever before he came into office. Obama did this. All the time. Biden did this last night. Play eight. We all know life can knock us down. But in America, we never, ever, ever stay down. Americans always get up. Today, that's what we're doing. America's rising anew, choosing hope over fear, truth over lies, and light over darkness. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America is ready for a takeoff, in my view. We're working again, dreaming again, discovering again, and leading the world again. We have shown each other and the world that there's no quit in America. None. 100 days ago, America's house was on fire. We had to act. And thanks to the extraordinary leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Schumer, and the overwhelming support of the American people, Democrats, independents, and Republicans, we did act. We don't support what this guy's done. <laughs> what is he talking about? It, it's like make-believe. It, it's as though he's just sketching out a fantasy for all to listen to here. Yes, that's right. Those great statesmen, stateswoman, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, sure. They, they're really all about rescuing America. I, I know it's like we're living in two different countries, two different universes right now between Democrats and Republicans. This old buffoon who really, with, with his every word, I just think this is a guy who's trying to sell me a, you know, 1985 Dodge Dart or something with 190,000 miles on it. And some some really shaky engine stuff going on, but telling me, oh, she, she you know, she purrs like a kitten, you know, doing a, she's great, you know, you're gonna you got another hundred thousand miles on this one, no problem. Sure you do. 
He's just so slimy, and it's all so false. He's just a party man. It's all he's ever been. Doesn't have any principles, doesn't have any ideas. He just mouths the preferred slogans of the leftist overlords around him, the puppeteers who actually call the shots and make him dance to the demanded tune. We saw plenty of that going on. We saw uh, plenty of borrowing from Obamaism as well. The, the creation of straw men, the false urgency of now, 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 we must go, we must do things as quickly as possible. The world will not wait. Play nine. Investments in jobs and infrastructure like the ones we're talking about have often had bipartisan support in the past. Vice President Harris and I met regularly in the Oval Office with Democrats and Republicans and discussed the jobs plan. And I applaud a group of Republican senators who just put forward their own proposal. So let's get to work. I wanted to lay out before the Congress my plan before we got into the deep discussions. I'd like to meet with those who have ideas that are different, they think are better. I welcome those ideas, but the rest of the world is not waiting for us. I just want to be clear. From my perspective, doing nothing is not an option. Doing nothing. About what exactly? Spending is is it between doing nothing and six trillion dollars of spending? Is that what we're really talking about? That's in in addition to what the federal government was already planning to spend. But if you were if you were watching it, and I doubt many of you were because why Biden's speech had the perfect optics for this presidency. It was all about the realization of a one party state. Republicans are to be ignored and suppressed and lied to until they just don't exist. No dissent, no compromise, no good faith. Good old Scranton Joe. That's what was being offered up last night. That and Joe Biden is basically Santa Claus without the red cheeks and the jolly belly full of jelly. Right. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden is just out there promising to give everybody all this stuff. You know, we're going to give you free child care and we're going to give you free health care. We're going to give you free, you know, free, free, everything free, free years, two years of college, paid leave, all these things. Well, this is what you get when you have somebody who's been drawing a paycheck from the public, from the taxpayer for his entire adult life, has no idea how a business actually functions, doesn't know what it is to have to engage in competition in the marketplace today. I mean, Joe Biden thinks marketplace competition is when you try to get a higher bribe to be on the board of Burisma because daddy's the vice president. He thinks that's how the market works. And unfortunately, because Democrats are in charge in a sense, He's right. Uh, These days, it does feel like there are two sets of rules, something we'll continue to talk about here. But there was simply nothing about Joe Biden's speech last night that was memorable, inspiring, even interesting. It's just we're going to tax rich people to pay for all this stuff that we want to give to other people because we promise it'll be really good and efficient and make everything better. There's no downside. There's no trade-off. That's one of the ultimate false promises that's at the heart of the Democrat Party today, that there will be no trade-offs with any of this. It's just all a question 
of stopping those greedy Republicans from being so greedy. Going to give all this stuff to other people. Oh, there's one thing, though, that Joe Biden, I will say, does have a lot of expertise on, and that is the price that China is willing to pay literally to destroy America, to undermine America. Joe knows this personally, if you're catching my drift. He talked about how he's going to stand up to China. Didn't mention Taiwan, though, did he? Play seven. In my discussion with President Xi, I told him, we welcome the competition. We're not looking for conflict. But I made absolutely clear that we will defend America's interest across the board. America will stand up to unfair trade practices and undercut American workers and American industries like subsidies from state to state owned operations and enterprises and the theft of American technology and intellectual property. I also told President Xi that we'll maintain a strong military presence in the Indo-Pacific, just as we do with NATO and Europe, not to start a conflict, but to prevent one. Remember, Biden has been reliably, consistently wrong on foreign policy decisions for the last 40 years. Everyone on both sides of the aisle knows that, but they can't say that now because he's their guy. He's the puppet in chief. His disconnect from economic and mathematical reality is almost impressive. I mean, the delusion is so fanciful that it's fascinating. And ultimately, what you saw on display last night was that President Joe Biden is such a shameless, self-advancing, disingenuous mediocrity. It's depressing to watch. I mean, at least a President Sanders would have been somewhat amusing as he tried to drag America toward communism. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. The Internet practically exploded when Senator Tim Scott said America is not a racist country. Oh, my gosh. Well, how could he? All all the libs, all the self-indulgent libs who walk around virtue signaling with their BLM hashtags, with their black squares on Instagram, all these things they do that cost them nothing, but they think is so strong and brave. Uh, They said, how how dare he say it's not a racist country? Uh, then Then they, of course, transition to you know, he says racism doesn't exist. That's not what he said. He said it's not a racist country. There are racists in America. There are racists in every country. And there are racists of every race. But the left doesn't believe that here. It's all, it's all about white supremacy in America. And the system is white supremacist. That's what they tell us. Ah, okay. Okay. Yes, the, the white supremacist system in America... That ensures that Asian Americans have the highest per capita wealth 
and the lowest rates of incarceration of any uh, major ethnic group in the population. Right. That's that's our, our white supremacist system in action. They say. Look, Senator Tim Scott did a a sound, solid job in the response. It's never easy because you're not the president, right? You're not speaking from that bully pulpit. But Scott did a good job. And you know this because the, the left freaked out at him and attacked him in the most vicious way. They had on Twitter for hours after the speech. Remember, Twitter's all about making sure there's no hate and making sure that, you know, there's there's basic respect on the platform. Hashtag Uncle Tim. We all know the reference they were making. Hashtag Uncle Tim was trending on Twitter for hours after the speech. Now, Twitter let that trend did not shut that down. But it's just a reminder as well that Democrats don't understand the the racist mentality of thinking that people have to demanding that people have to hold certain beliefs and approach life and approach the world in a certain way because of skin color. That in and of itself is a racist idea, and it is completely mainstream. In fact, it's doctrine for Democrats. Anybody who is black who does not accept the narrative of events from the Democrat Party about race is either you know betraying their own race. That's a common one. Uh, they, they throw slurs out there. What a horrible thing to think or say about someone. That because of your skin color, you have to say certain things or else. But that is the Democrat approach, as we know. And it's all about power. I mean, does anyone really think Nancy Pelosi cares a lot about minorities? What a laughable proposition, right? Oh, yeah. Super rich mansion living in in the Bay Area. Nancy Pelosi. She cares so much about the black community. She cares so much about the Latino community. People say this stuff with a straight face. I mean, not as straight as Nancy's face. A lot of Botox. But you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. Anyway, Tim Scott, here's what he says uh, about his view of the future of this of this country in response to Biden's socialism extravaganza last night. Play 10. Our best future will not come from Washington schemes or socialist dreams. It will come from you, the American people, black, Hispanic, white and Asian, Republican and Democrat, brave police officers in black neighborhoods. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together and we get to live in the greatest country on earth. The country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I'm confident that our finest hour is yet to come. I know this isn't our finest hour because we got a Biden administration that's radical, that's far left, that doesn't care about what history has shown us when it comes to these policies doesn't understand or could care less about economic reality and what it means to try to, to build the business, what it means to try to get ahead, to have hard work be uh, 
rewarded by the market instead of having the government picking winners and losers, instead of the government turning on the money gun and just spraying it all around the country to whoever they think it's fair to get it. All these intrusions, all these interdictions, if you will, into into the market on behalf of favored constituencies of the Democrats, enlarging the welfare state and turning this into a mega government. That's really the plan of the Democrats. Because if the COVID situation has shown us anything, it's the government does a great job. Sure. It would be nice if all the stuff that Biden was saying is true, you know, just free stuff for everybody. I wish Santa Claus was real. Wouldn't that be great? I wish Santa Claus was real. Uh, I can't tell you that a guy in a red suit is going to come down your chimney with a whole lot of money printed by the Fed anytime soon. But I can actually get a box of incredible meat delivered right to your home. That's right. It comes packaged, ready to go. You put it right in your freezer. You thaw it out. This is the most delicious meat you're ever going to have. And it just shows up at your door from Moink Box. All right. Moink delivers grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and it goes right to your door. And every time you buy Moink, you're helping family farms stay independent and not have the grip of big agriculture right on them. All right, their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormone sugar, and all the other junk you find in prepackaged stuff in the meat aisle. I am making a moink ribeye this weekend. I can't tell you how excited I am about it. I'm going to just sear it and get all that caramelization because the juices and the marbling of the meat that you get from a moink steak, it's the best you've ever had. I made their roast chicken recently, and I'm telling you it was the best chicken whole chicken i've ever made so you can have it all delivered right to your door this should be the meat that you and your family are eating join the moink movement today go to moinkbox.com slash buck right now and listeners to this show get a free year of ground beef that's one of the best ground beefs i'm telling you, you'll ever taste it's amazing all you have to do is go to this website right now M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash buck. That's moink box dot com slash buck. M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash buck. Why did Mark Kelly mention the fact that Joe Biden didn't talk about solving the border crisis? Because Joe Biden is the crisis. The root cause of our, the run on the border is not the Northern Triangle countries. They're no better, no worse than they were when Trump. Uh, they're better, I think, because of Trump. The bottom line is Joe Biden instituted catch and release. If you come to America, you get released in the country. You never show up to your court date. If you're under 16, you stay here. Word is out all over Central America that Joe Biden is going back to catch and release. And Mark Kelly knows unless you change catch and release and reform asylum, it's never ending. And the reason Biden never mentioned it is because the left won't let him mention it. The root cause of immigration chaos is Joe Biden. Not much talk at all about immigration in the speech last night from Biden, which is unsurprising. I went through it and I'm I'm pretty sure and I I could check. uh, I'm pretty sure that he mentioned the border maybe one time. I mean, the actual border. Right. What was. um, Oh, I'm sorry. Three times in one paragraph, he mentioned the border. Okay. 
and uh, and that's it in the whole speech. That was all. And it just sort of went right past it. How does he recommend we actually secure the border? No idea. All he knows is go back to the old Obama administration talking points about how we need comprehensive, comprehensive immigration reform. That's what we're told. Comprehensive immigration reform. And you say, uh, okay, well, that means amnesty, right? That means amnesty. Yes. Yes, it does. That means that we're we're going to find out. It's going to be such a big surprise. People too. wait, wait, you mean there's more than 11 million illegal immigrants in the country? You mean it's more like 15 million or 20 million? Well, hold on. But the government said, yeah, I know the government said for a long time that it was 11 million, that the number stays constant year in and year out. We have 100,000 illegals entering the country a month right now, but somehow it's been 11 million illegal immigrants in America for the last decade plus. Isn't that so strange? Doesn't that seem weird to you? Yeah, certainly seems weird to me. But what is Joe really going to say about the border? How is he really going to explain what's happening? It's the worst it's ever been the most open it's ever been, and it's because of decisions the Biden administration made. And they know that while, you know, 40 percent of the electorate is just going to vote Democrat no matter what, maybe 45 percent, those last few percentage points that they need to keep them in power, as we saw the last election was not a it was not a large number of people that pushed Joe Biden into the W column. In the grand scheme of things, I mean, yeah, they could talk about the popular vote. But if we're looking at this in terms of state by state and the Electoral College, you had about 100,000 people vote a different way in a handful of states. Joe Biden's not president. But yet he has a mandate, a mandate to ignore the other half of the country. So much of what he's doing is exactly that. In fact, one of the areas of uh, Tim Scott's speech that I thought was most important for everyone to hear. I mean, first off, when he says America is not a racist country, that was the most powerful moment of the speech because it's true. Despite what the Democrats are always saying, despite their attitudes about America, their disdain on display constantly about America. um, That what we've seen from the Biden administration is that they just divide and pull us apart. There's such an opportunity in the middle of a pandemic to bring people together And to really make it seem like there's at least an effort or at least some thought to bringing us into the same uh, into the same place, put us in the same boat. But no, that's not what happens. Tim Scott said it well. Play 11. We just heard President Biden's first address to Congress. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words. But President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation, to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Can there really be any doubt about that? Does anyone feel like this president is is a uniter? I mean, that that was laughable within days of his taking off. It was laughable within within minutes, 
What's the first thing he did? Signed incredibly divisive, hyper-partisan executive orders, a whole slew of them on a range of issues, including the Keystone XL pipeline, which he hadn't even talked about. But hey, got to throw a bone to the environmental lobby. Got to give them their piece, right? They bunch bunch of rich libs in Malibu and the Upper West Side who write checks to environmental concerns. All climate change. Got to give them what they want. And so he did. And so he did. What you're seeing is that we're not actually opposing Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not the problem. Joe Biden is a symptom. He's actually just a a tool, one one cog in the Democrat left socialist machine. And so we have to oppose that. It's the machinery around him, the ideas they're pushing and the ways they do it. That's where our challenge really lies. Because even without Joe Biden, I could tell you this. If it were a President Kamala Harris last night, it would have sounded exactly the same. I mean, sounded maybe a little different, but it would have been the same speech, pushing the same ideas. These Democrat politicians are just representative of the machinery of the left. And that's all that it takes to get what they want done. They know that they have the media and academia and the federal government bureaucracy and Wall Street and the biggest, wealthiest corporations all on their side. So it doesn't really matter. They don't need a great leader. They don't even need an effective leader. They just need someone to carry the torch for the left. And that's right now Joe Biden. I think before the next election, it'll be Kamala Harris. And it'll be exactly the same policies, the same ideas, the same socialism, big government, racial identity politics stuff. All of it will be the same. So we have to win this war of ideas because pointing out that Joe Biden is inept. People say he's senile, all this stuff that doesn't it's not going to stop it. I don't think we spent nearly enough time looking at our current spending and asking ourselves if we could could reprioritize some of the ways that we're spending taxpayer money. Let me put it another way, Mr. Mr. President. No person with a, a an even even a casual relationship with the federal budget and or an IQ above a root vegetable believes that every single penny being spent today in the United States government's budget is being spent efficiently. And this just goes to belief. I mean, Senator Kennedy, I understand the point he's making here, but Democrats, you, you have to you have to understand they believe that government spending is inherently a good thing. It's a good activity. Now, there'll be sometimes, you know, oh, they're giving money to Wall Street fat cats or something. Well, they'll complain about it. But in general, they always think there should be more spending. It's like a psychological condition. It's it's never enough money that the government is deciding to spend. And it's just a question of what they can get away with politically before people start to say, hold, hold on a second, that's that's sound a little bit too much. But how could we even believe that there's a limitation on what the Democrats have in mind here when they're willing to spend $6 trillion of money in addition to what we're already seeing in the federal budget? 
That's what they want to do. And they can use reconciliation for changes to the tax code, and they can use uh, parliamentary maneuvers, and, and they'll just do whatever they can to get this stuff done. And you know the way that they'll frame it all. They'll do exactly what they did with the American Rescue Package. You know, $1.8 trillion, 5% of it for, for actual COVID stuff, and then the rest is whatever they want to spend money on. You know, it's... At the point now where you have to go to the very baseline level of understanding about these things to start to force the Democrats to reckon with reality. So, for example, when we talk about the border, I'll say, "Okay, let's start from this proposition, because they'll say, what about the children? What about the families? What about, you know, what about the dreamers? All right. Who doesn't get to stay in America? Right. That comes in illegally. Who shouldn't be allowed to stay? You'll notice Democrats get very, they, they want to change the subject or whatever. Because if the answer is only violent felons, and even some Democrats, I would note, don't think that that's the answer. But if the answer is only violent felons, everybody else gets to stay. That's called open borders. So who doesn't get to stay that, that refuses to go through the actual legal process of entry and all the rest of it? They won't answer the question. Because they want to have their cake and eat it, too. They want to pretend that we're a society that still has immigration laws that are taken seriously. But they want the the feeling of being a good guy or a good girl who wants everybody to be able to stay in America. We're a nation of immigrants, all that stuff. Same mentality is at work with the way the government under the Biden administration would spend money. They say, but what about this? More money for this, more money for that. You have to start at the proposition of, okay, how much money is too much? Is there any downside? One of the one of the, the ways that Democrats push all this, one of the ways they get their ideas to become popular is with the false promise of no trade-off, the false promise of no downside. You see this with so many of their policies. Defund the police. Oh, you're being... You know, uh, you're, you're helping racial healing or whatever. That's what Democrats will say. OK, but when you defund police, there are fewer law enforcement officers able to do the job of preventing crime and punishing crime. And therefore, people will more people will die. More people will be assaulted. More people will be raped. That's the downside of defunding police. But they won't ever talk about it. They only talk about the upside of feeling like we're writing historical wrongs or dealing with with you know police brutality or whatever it may be with the border i've already said that's there's no they do not recognize a downside to illegal immigration they don't actually see there being anything wrong with it the only problem is they know that not enough americans agree with them that they can be honest about that but they don't see a downside they they will tell you that illegal immigrants don't compete with Americans for jobs. Illegal immigrants don't uh, commit commit crimes at a rate that is higher than what we want because we don't want any illegal immigrants to be in the country based on the law. Therefore, there shouldn't be any crimes committed because I know they can show statistics that present a uh, relative to the general population in this country, you know, lower level of crime among the illegal immigrant population. But I don't care because the number should be zero. It should be zero crimes committed because people shouldn't be in the country illegally in the first place. But they don't ever talk about downside. They don't ever talk about additional 
And one area where the statistics are very clear is that illegal illegal immigrants have a greater likelihood and as a percentage are are much more uh, much more likely to be dependent upon different forms of state assistance and welfare. And people who say, oh, they don't get it. But that's not true. Yeah, actually, it is true. If they're in a household where there's one person, if you're an illegal immigrant, you're in a household where one person's born in America. Now that's the tether into the United States. There are benefits that come to that household. Also, there, there are any number of state programs that currently take taxpayer dollars and give them. In New York, we're giving 15 grand for COVID relief to illegal immigrants, okay? So I don't want to hear about this. Oh, they don't get benefits. That's a lie. Uh, I'm bringing this up because on the spending issue, too, we're now at the point where we have to have a serious conversation. How much is too much? And if Democrats like Joe Biden, if, if this socialist Santa Claus doesn't actually have an answer to that question, then we have to stop and say, well, hold on a minute. What is the value of our money? What is happening to our currency? You know, if I say six trillion dollars, that sounds like a lot of money. And they say it's investments, it's investments, which is that's the favorite Democrat word. That's their favorite word for uh, we're going to take money from some people and give it to other people based on what we want to do, based on government whim. They say, we're investing in the future. Okay, if $6 trillion isn't a lot of money, why don't we just make it 60? Think about all the infrastructure we could build. Think about all the... And I'll, you know, I'll remember this, folks, and I haven't forgotten. We'll be talking more about this. Trump was talking about infrastructure, too. Remember that? First year? Infrastructure. Talking about a trillion-dollar infrastructure package. Public-private partnerships, that sort of thing, but didn't get it done. Democrats, unfortunately, have a more ruthless and uh, maniacal streak when it comes to pursuing the aims of the left. I mean, they're they're just and and maybe I shouldn't even put it that way. Democrats actually try to get the stuff done that they say they're going to get done. Republicans get voted in promising to do certain things and then they wimp out. Democrats go for it. Um, but why why only limit it to six trillion dollars? Why not go all the way? Why not make it 10 trillion or 15 trillion or whatever? Most Democrats you talk to about this would not have a ready answer for you because the moment they start to say the moment they admit that there is a trade off, that government spending crowds out private spending, lowers growth, lowers opportunity, government's inefficient. The moment they start looking at that list of the trade offs. Santa Claus, all of a sudden, you realize he's bringing you presents, but he bought it all with your credit card. That's the reality of what we see here. That's the reality of what's happening. It's the taxpayer's credit card that Santa's using to get the bag of goodies that he's then giving out only to certain kids, not to everybody. And this is where we have a, a fundamental disconnect in just view of government and in the American psyche between those who think that more spending and bigger government is better and those who want the government to do less and leave us alone. I'm definitely worried about the economy, and I feel like the only way that there'll be a reckoning for this Biden administration is if we hit a a major economic reckoning, if there's a, a real downturn that happens. But that may be a ways off. And given all the cash sloshing around because of the Fed, there's definitely going to be some real upside in the market in the months ahead. You just got to know where to be. You got to know what stocks to be. And for all of you who 
are managing your own accounts, who are doing some trading and trying to build your wealth, you need to know about my friends at Carnivore Trading. All right, They have spotted several key indicators, and they think that the biggest profits are still yet to come in some very important Wall Street sectors, despite the big bull market we've already been through. Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can mirror their trades with your discount broker or pass. But why would you pass when their trades routinely crush the S&P 500? And they guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. Five times your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks of this service for free just by visiting GetOurTrades. That's GetOurTrades.com. Use promo code BUCK. The website is GetOurTrades.com. Promo code BUCK. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Our friend Ned Ryan in the mix. He is the founder of American Majority, knows the political scene backwards and forwards, and always has insights worth hearing. Ned, great to have you. Yeah, no, great to be back with you, Buck. So just give me your your top line here. We we had the Biden speech. If you were able to stay awake through it and stomach the whole thing, <laughs> congratulations to you. What did you make of it? You know, I had a couple thoughts. Obviously, my first reaction was, sitting there watching and, and him talking about $6 trillion in spending and all of these, really all of these plans to re-engineer America, my, my reaction was, you have no mandate. I mean, literally, I mean, one of my first initial thoughts was, Buck, this guy has no mandate. He barely won this election, and a highly suspicious election, by the way, in which it really came down to 42,000 votes between Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, and Georgia to decide those 37 electoral votes. So please don't act like you have some mandate to completely wholesale re-engineer America. And I thought that was the interesting thing just sitting there too. I mean, the big selling point in a lot of ways was, hey, let's have Joe Bi Biden, the moderate, return to normalcy presidency. And the first 100 days has been anything but that. I mean, it's been a agenda that's so radical it's to the left of what Obama even tried. So, I mean, that was some of my initial reaction, just this guy has no mandate, he's pushing an agenda that's far to the left of what Obama ever tried. And, oh, by the way, it's an imperial presidency. He signed over 60 executive orders in the first 100 days. So I will say this. I, I, I've, I've said this on TV. I've said it in op-eds. Joe Biden is an empty husk. He is merely a Trojan horse for the advancement of a far-left agenda. And uh, whoever's really calling the shots inside the Biden administration is, is taking the opportunity to try and push a far-left agenda. And uh, I hope that it fails miserably. Do you think that Obama is – behind the scenes pushing on some of the on some of the bigger decisions that are coming out of the Biden Oval Office? I, I do. I, I mean, I think Obama and Valerie Jarrett, uh, some of those players are, are having a undue influence over what I've, I've, I've called the third Obama term. No, I, I think there's a lot of people that are having a lot of influence and you're dealing with a very frail, um, weak uh, Joe Biden. So, yeah, no, I do think that Obama and Valerie Jarrett and others are having a serious influence on on some of the far left agenda and, and really seeing this as an opportunity to push that. And, and again, I'll say this. I mean, I, I'm fully convinced that Biden will not last a first term. Uh, and, you know, then you have Kamala Harrison and then it gets even crazier. 
Now, we're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. I want to get back to that Kamala point in a second, but there's what Biden says that obviously appeals to the Democrat left-wing base, right, when he talks about assault rifle bans and all these things. And, And I don't think that even the Democrats believe that's likely to happen, let's say, in the next 12 months as we get into this next midterm election cycle. What do you think they will actually be able to do? Of the things that Biden outlined? I I think that's a really good question, Buck, because Joe Manchin has already expressed concern about some of this spending. And again, not the greatest place to be in when Joe Manchin is your backstop to prevent some of the madness, but he's held firm on, you know, the legislative filibuster front. He's already expressed concern. And, and you know, I thought what was telling last night, Buck, was when you had David Axelrod on CNN going after Biden on the fact that he really didn't have any, he barely mentioned immigration. I think he spent three minutes on it, had no solutions for the serious border crisis, and you had David Axelrod blowing him up. Then on the budget, on the spending, John Kasich on Aaron Burnett is blowing up Biden going, in what world are we going to pay for this $6 trillion? It seems really nice up front, free, you know, pre-K, free college, free this, free that. At some point, Six trillion in spending. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. This makes no sense at all. This is this is both both those things were happening on CNN. So I think that there's real questions about a, you know, are people really going? Are, are they that sold on it? And then how do you actually get it through in a narrowly divided House and Senate in which Joe Manchin and I, I'm pretty sure there are going to be a couple other Democrats going. This is insanity. I don't know how we pay for this. So it's one thing to say it. Uh, in, in whatever that speech was last night. It's not really a state of the union, but it's another thing to actually accomplish it. So, uh, accomplish it. so I'm not fully convinced, despite everything that he was talking about, how much of it will really be accomplished this year. And we all know if you don't get something through in the first year, you get into a midterm year, all these guys, the, the members of the House, members of the Senate, start thinking about their reelect and how aggressive do I really want to get on that legislative agenda uh, and then have to face the voters in the fall of 2022. So I think there's strong question marks about how much of it will really be accomplished. Ned, you heard him talk briefly about immigration, right? That was kind of thrown in there, really almost nothing about the border. Um, And as I think, you you know, I talked to you about it. I just got back from the border from last week. It's a it's a total mess and it is open. And everyone who works on it says it's open. Uh, There are very minimal um hurdles to somebody coming into the country illegally and their border patrols completely overwhelmed do, do you think that the why why would democrats return to the comprehensive immigration reform framework now that didn't work under the obama administration do you think that they believe the political wins with this are now in their favor or are they just is is this more talk when the real focus is just going to be on the spending and the infrastructure well i think uh, obviously, there's a lot of people benefiting off this broken immigration system. I mean, Democrats for political power, and let's face it, Chamber of Commerce type Republicans for cheap labor. No, no, the broken system really, a lot of people are very happy with where it's at, no matter how disastrous it is. I think the thing that struck me on, in regards to that, right, he barely deals with immigration, doesn't mention how he's going to fix the border crisis, doesn't even really mention it. Goes, America's an idea. No, it's not. We are a sovereign nation. Sovereign nations have borders that are enforced, and if we do not have enforced borders, we cease to be a sovereign nation, which is kind of what the un-American far left, which has taken over the Democratic Party, ultimately wants to see, right? So it's it, it's all convenient for a lot of people. Some people want to see it happen, and let's face it, a lot of the donor class, chamber of commerce types inside the Republican Party 
they're really good with where we're at right now, right? Get them, get us our cheap labor, and uh, we're t- we're perfectly fine with the situation. All the while, the American people are being abused by what's taking place and having to fund uh, everything that's taking place. It's it's insanity, but it does tell you. I don't think I don't think we're going to see any serious immigration or border enforcement anytime soon until after the 2022 elections. And even then, it's a question mark until you get a Republican back in the White House who actually believes that it's a crisis that needs to be dealt with. We're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. Ned, what should the Republican counter messaging be? I keep asking this because it feels like, look, Tim Scott did a nice job in the rebuttal. That's always a tough job. You know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it's not easy to speak in response to a president and feel like you're a little bit you know, overshadowed just by the size of the office and the platform. Tip Scott did a great job. I love that he said America's not yeah. a racist country just because it's true, one, and two, liberals completely lose their minds uh, when when anybody who Clearly. comes, when, when, when an African-American, a prominent Republican African-American like Tim Scott says that, it, it just their heads all explode. Um, but what should the broader messaging be in response to this? Because here, my worry is that we keep saying socialism, 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 and that doesn't seem to really resonate enough to make Democrats think twice about this stuff. No, I, I mean, my, my response in hearing a lot of this stuff is, and again, I hear the tired old, well, that's not constitutional. Oh, that's socialism. How about we just start, start talking about an agenda that benefits the American people? Immigra- the immigration system does not benefit the American people. The trade uh, situation does not favor the American people. We are going to actually talk about Americanism. I mean this is one of the things I've been talking about for the last 10 years and Donald Trump finally stands up and goes, I don't accept the premise of any of this. Our system in D.C. is so broken, a swamp, it's not serving the American people. How about Republicans go, you know what, we're not going to listen to the donor class. We're not going to listen to the corporate, you know, the corporate interests. We're actually going to go out and say we actually want to see a system that benefits the American people in a government supposedly of, by, and for the American people in which the American people are an afterthought. I mean, come on, guys. This is, not, this is common sense. Why don't you just actually take approach in which we say everything that we're going to do is for the benefit of the American people to actually promote their interests, get them jobs, get them good wages, get these small businesses back on track and, and, and really half the engine of the American economy, small businesses. This is not rocket science, and yet there's so much, there's so much conflicted interests inside of the Republican Party. Until they get past these conflicts of not being able to deal with the corporate interests, not being able to deal decisively with big tech, all of these things – I, I don't know if they're ever going to have a clear, concise message to the American people. How's, that's the magic of Donald Trump. Screw it. This is what this is what needs to take place. This is what needs to be done. That's why the American people loved him. And, you know, my hope is that he runs again in 2024. You think he's going to? I mean, I know you're plugged in. You know those folks. He gave an interview recently on Fox where he said he's thinking about it. OK, I mean, of course he's thinking about it. But where where do you think the winds are blowing right now on that one? I have people inside that are swear up and down he's running again. And then I have people that have uncertainties and say it's a 50-50 proposition. I have to tell you, I do think, and I know I've told, it, told you this before, I think the 2022 midterms are going to be a bellwether for him, right? I think he's probably going to say, hey, I'm going to do the best I can in 2022, have a massive impact. If he has that massive impact, which I think he will, I think that that paves the way for him to run again in 2024, so I, I think there's a real part of him that wants to, especially when he's seeing all this idiocy taking place. I know he did almost an hour interview this morning with Maria Bartiromo in just a response to Biden. I think some of this stuff is probably kind of, well, let's face it, eating at him. 
and at some point is going to go screw this. I got to I I can do this. I can win again. We're going to get the electoral integrity in place that we need to. I can win. I'm going to go for it. So I'm I'm hopeful that some of this will be a motivating factor and then a massively, you know, high win percentage, huge impact on the midterms. He goes, "Done. We're going for it." That's my hope. Ned, where do you think the the economy is going to head because I'm I'm hearing people who say one of, we we could be heading into a difficult situation here where even with the excess spending, even with the regulation and the the punishing of small business and the assisting of, of big business that are, are are corporate donors that have connections in the Biden administration, because we're going to be coming out of the pandemic, because there's so much cash in the sidelines, the right. Fed is so permissive, there might be a almost like a halo effect. There might might be a a, a it'll essentially cover up for the bad ideas of Biden won't be as apparent. Uh, from an economic standpoint, because he has such a wind at his back because we're coming out of a pandemic and the Fed is still playing ball. No, oh, I mean, I, I saw our, our mutual friend Trish Regan saying that the Fed will never raise rates as long as Biden is in the White House. No, I, I think he's going to have a couple factors that you're right are going to mitigate the real impact on the American people. And you're right. I mean, some of these dynamics I saw it was at six, nine percent GDP, whatever it is. Like we're gonna have a really great year of, of GDP that's going to mask over the fact he's gonna destroy future long-term economic growth with you know his talk of raising corporate taxes. Come on, the middle class in America is not an idiot. They're looking at this going, our taxes are gonna go up. If any of this actually, God forbid, passes and becomes law, all of this six trillion crazy madness. We're going to be paying for this. The middle class knows that. So I think in the short term, it will gloss over. It will put a veneer of like, hey, sunshine and roses, it's all good. But the long-term economic impact, at some point, the if any of this, God forbid, gets into law, there's going to be a massive, brutal reckoning uh, with the American economy and the American taxpayer in which they go, oh, my gosh, this is this is awful. So, yeah, I'm afraid the short term is not going to be nearly as apparent to the American people. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Ned, before we let you go, the fight against big tech, do we have any any movement to speak of on that? And anything, you know, I, I keep getting <laughs> I keep getting dinged and throttled. And, you know, I, it's a constant war just to speak the truth out there. Big tech is clearly a Democrat province and they're enforcing their will on Biden's behalf at every opportunity. Are, are we making any headway? I, again, Ron DeSantis making headway, but I said this on Tucker not last week, but the week before. The only way that we're going to see real movement against big tech is when Republicans and conservatives, quite frankly, get righteous on the issue and realize, hey, we are dealing with monopolies. It's a Republican tradition to break up monopolies. These guys are censoring free speech. They're censoring the, the free flow of information. And I, I told Tucker, and I'll say it again, it's, come, it's become a litmus test for me if – you do not look at big tech as, you know, do you reject Satan and all of his evil works? And I mean this. Like, do you reject the censorship of speech, the censorship of the flow of information? You're meddling with elections, Zuckerberg Center for Tech and Civic Life and, and everything that he did in the 2020 elections. If you don't do that, then I have real questions as to whether I want to support you. It is an absolute for me. And so you're seeing DeSantis, you're seeing some of these governors. But I will say this, Buck, I don't think you're going to see any movement in D.C., in, in, in the next few years, I think any real reform on the tech is going to take place at the state level with Ron DeSantis and hopefully the 26 other Republican governors following suit. So 
Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. But real reform on tech is going to take place at the state level in the short term. Ned Ryan, the man himself, founder of American Majority. Ned, my man, good to have you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck.